You're listening to a podcast presentation of Hillside Foursquare Church in Reno, Nevada. Hey there, I want to invite you back towards the seat. We're going to be starting our Easter series today, which will be going through Easter, which is uh, April 9th. And as we do, I just want to invite you to join with me in praying. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you are here. You say that wherever two or three are gathered, you are there in our midst. I thank you, Holy Spirit, for, your, for being here. And I would ask that you would move in our hearts and our minds the things that we need uh, transformed, the areas we need healing, Lord, the areas we need encouragement, the areas we need correction. We submit all those things to you, and we thank you in advance, Jesus, for the fact that you have died on the cross and that you rose again and that in you we have life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So our, our Easter theme is the word abide, and we're going to be examining several portions of Scripture that talk about what it means to abide. Uh, if you're a big fan of uh, the Big Lebowski, you think, you know, who abides? The dude abides. Okay. This is different than that. Okay. A little bit. The word abide is a word that means to remain or to continue in, to wait in or to wait on, to endure. And uh, one of the things that was a really cool uh, definition of abide was to not become different as related to a condition or state. Uh, I, I would almost say, it'd be like saying, if you ever, like back in your high school yearbook, somebody wrote, hey, don't change. You know what I'm talking about? Love ya, okay? Don't change. The abide has to do with remaining, with waiting in, waiting on, to not become different, especially in the condition of remaining. So it's not something that will change. It's I'm going to be waiting here for you. I'm not going to be shifting. And so... One of the continual instructions that Jesus gives to his disciples that shows up repeatedly is these two things, abide in me and abide in my word. And we're invited to abide in Christ, especially in relation to his death and crucifixion, especially in relation to his words. And as this is coming, you know, as we are going to be today in John chapter 8, among other places, so we're in John chapter 8. This is coming near the end of Jesus' life, which is what, you know, Easter represents the, the time where Jesus died. He laid down his life. His body was broken. He was crucified on a cross. He was dead. He was buried in a tomb for three days. And on the third day, the Holy Spirit brought him back to life. And then he lived uh, on the planet for about another six weeks until he was uh, transfigured, taken to the, the right hand of the Father. And so this portion of scripture, especially where Jesus is telling his disciples, I want you to abide in me and abide in my word. What he's telling them is there's going to be a, there's going to be changes that are happening out here in your circumstances. And I'm inviting you to come to the unchanging one and to remain in me. One more time. There's going to be circumstances that are changing out here. So I want you to stay in here with me and stay in here with my word. And in doing so, you will find fruit. You'll find freedom. You'll find truth. You will find life. You'll find hope. You'll find healing. And this is an invitation that was 2,000 years ago, but it's also an invitation for us to, to revisit and to review today, especially as it's Jesus is revealed by the power of the Holy Spirit and also revealed in his word, the scriptures. When we're talking about abiding in Christ and abiding in his word, you say, okay, that's what we're supposed to do, but what does that mean? Uh, to abide in Christ is to live all of life, all areas in Christ. To continue in Christ and in his ways, to persevere or endure as intended, single-minded, unchanging, in our 
families, in our places where we live, in our workplaces, when we're out playing, that we remain in Christ. This does not mean we can't have a conversation that doesn't involve the word Jesus. It does mean, however, that everything in our life flows out of that connected relationship, okay? To abide in his word means to think on it, to meditate on it, to lean upon it as a foundation, to function from it to evaluate our life in the context of God's word and his instructions, to look at our values and our beliefs and our thought patterns and how we interact with others from the point of his word with that informing what we do. This is significant because it's easy to look back on the disciples and say these guys were pretty silly in that over and over again, Jesus said, this is who I am and this is what I'm doing. This is where I'm going. This is what's going to happen. And they continue to say, but what you're really saying is you're going to come like a king like King David was. And David, the warrior who killed Goliath and who who wiped out all of his enemies and and brought Israel into a golden age, you're going to do that. It's going to be military. It's probably going to be political. This can be economic. And over and over in Scripture, even showing up in the book of Acts, we were talking, uh, Tony and I were talking this morning about in Acts chapter 1, the disciples, as Jesus is getting ready to be taken up into heaven, they say, so is, is now the time that you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel, kick Rome out, and we're going to have a glorious time of this political kingdom that gets rebuilt here? And Jesus says, no, come on, come on guys, that's not what I'm doing. I'm building the kingdom of God. But there's something where we can look at them and say, man, they're so silly, they didn't get it. However, it's possible for us to put up a similar type of a lens that we will see Jesus only through our own lens of what Christ should be or should do. And that we will interpret his instruction to back up our own lifestyle, our own thought patterns, our own way of engaging, our own way of doing things. And what he's inviting us to do, instead of incorporating Jesus into our belief system, he's asking us to root our lives in him and to flow with our beliefs and our actions and our words, etc., out of him instead of trying to form him into our own image. Does that make sense? Okay, we do, we do this forming Jesus into our own image when he starts to look and sound exactly like us. When he starts to like the same, I mean, did you know Jesus is a 49er fan? And a giant fan. You'd think they'd win more if that was, you know, but no, it's silly, but we're, our political, you know, he loves you too. He lo- not just, you know, you too, but he loves Bono. You know, that, he loves that. We can create Jesus in our own image and begin to think this is who he is and what he does and how he wants to function. And in reality, he cares about all those things, but he cares about them in the context of calling us to be his people who, apart from the politics of the the country we live in, not to abandon it, but not to make that the the be-all, end-all, apart from the military complex, apart from the economic complex, apart from the, the the prevailing value system of the world we live in, he's calling us to lay those things down and to come to him. The, the song we sang today is one that Chris wrote, and that was a great exceeding joy. And it's, we choose to bow to him, so we take up our cross and we begin to follow him. The whole idea of bowing to Christ, it's not just a part of, isn't that a good part of the song? It's taken from Luke chapter 9, verses 23 through 25. It says, Jesus said himself, if anybody wants to come after me, if anybody wants to be my disciple, anybody wants to be a Christ follower, first thing they have to do is deny their selfish ambition. Your own plan for your life gets thrown out the window and you take up God's plan for your life. Then you take up your cross. What is the cross? It's an implement of death. 
Jesus took up the cross knowing he was a dead man walking, meaning he had no rights in and of himself. He was simply on his way to the cross. When we take up our cross to follow Jesus, we know we are dead to our own plan for our life. That doesn't mean God doesn't give us the desires of our heart. He promises he will as we submit ourselves to him. What it does mean is we no longer get to direct Jesus to tell us you know, how we want him to work in our life. Instead, we say, I'm yours, do what you will. It's a, it's a scripture that shows up in, later in Galatians chapter 2 when Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. But the life I live in this body, I live by faith in the one who loved me and gave himself for me. He's saying, because I've been crucified with Christ, I belong to him and my values and my actions and my words, they represent that. And therefore, I become a person who represents Christ in all that I am and all that I do. And that includes especially how we interact with people, not in a weird religious way, but in a way that considers others better than ourselves, in a way that prioritizes kindness and compassion, that is willing to, here's a hard one, speak the truth in love so that people can be loved where they are, but also it's not love to lie to people nicely. It's also not love to hit people upside the head with the biblical truth in a way that causes harm to them. It might hurt, by the way, but it doesn't mean it's going to cause harm. And it also helps if you have a relationship with the person before you start saying, hey, can I just share something with you? I want to know that somebody loves me before they say something to me. And that requires an investment of time, energy, and effort that's not rooted in, I hope I can get them into the kingdom of God by the end of the day. We are not divine car salesmen trying to cajole people into responding to Christ. We are people here to live a life that reflects Christ in what we do with the hope that we can help eliminate, that's the I-L-L, not E-L-I, the eliminate the path to heaven, which is through Jesus Christ firmly. Does that make sense? I hope so because I'm moving forward from there. Uh, so abiding in Christ, abiding in his word. We're looking at, over these next several weeks, uh, we're talking about Jesus, we're talking about Easter, we're talking about the kingdom of God. You may have seen the bumper sticker N-O-T-W, it stands for, yeah, you've seen the bumper sticker too. And really the pointed remembrance of the central message of the gospel good news is that we are to abide in Christ. Uh, I mentioned earlier how the religious leaders of the time were interpreting Christ, the Messiah, through their own lens of what that would mean. And over and over again in, in the Gospels, which Gospel is a word that means good news, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, those Gospels, Jesus reveals that the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is not of this world, but the kingdom of God is also not yet here. And so as we live with that, we're, we're in this huge tension. <coughs> And as Jesus is talking to his followers, more and more people are beginning to think, if this guy's the Messiah, what this means is he's going to be establishing a kingship. And he starts to tell them, guys, I'm going away, and where I'm going, you can't come. He's talking about going up to heaven. They think, is he going to the 10 cities? Is he going to go talk to the Greeks? Is he going away? And there's some who think, is he going to kill himself? Is that what he's talking about? And they're, they're going back and forth. If he says, I'm going where you can't go, you know, you try and tell that to a five-year-old, what are they going to do? Where can't you go? I want to go where you're going. They're, they want to know. And he's saying, no, you need to understand, you're going to have to remain in me and remain in my word because I'm not going to be here anymore. This takes us to John chapter 8, verse 21. 
and we'll spend a little bit of time here, and then uh, we'll be bouncing into a couple other abide scriptures as we go. So, John 8, 21. When I say, when it says to them, he's talking to the, the crowds that have gathered, including a, a large number of religious leaders. And so, Jesus said to them again, I'm going away, and you will seek me, and you will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. So the Jews said, will he kill himself since he says, where I'm going, you cannot come. And he said to them, you are from below, I'm from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. So they said to him, who are you? And Jesus said, just what I've been telling you from the beginning. I have much to say about you and much to judge, but he who sent me is true, and I declare to the world what I have heard from him. They did not understand he had been speaking to them about the Father. So Jesus said to them, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. And as he was saying these things, many believed in him. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, get that, to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. In this going back and forth, the religious leaders who are a part of this, the crowd, they want to know for sure that Jesus is declaring, yeah, I'm the Messiah. And they're going back and forth, tell us who you are. And he says, I've been telling you over and over and over again. There are people who say Jesus never claimed to be the Messiah. Anybody who says that is picking and choosing from the Gospels and completely ignoring passages like this. Because when Jesus says, you know, we're talking about the, when you lift up the Son of Man, you'll know that I am He. He's actually doing a callback to when Moses is interacting with, with the burning bush and he's been commissioned to go into Egypt and to declare to the Pharaoh to let my people go so they can come into the, into the wilderness and worship. And Moses says, who should I tell them that is, is sending me here. And he says, what is your name? And he says, I am who I am. When Jesus says, I am he, it's an exact phrase, the same thing of when, G when God in Old Testament said, I am, that's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, I am. It's a, it's a callback, right? Exactly right there. When he's saying this, he knows that they're screening all of his words, all of his claims, all of his commands through their own lens of how they think God will re reveal the Messiah. And he challenges them. He says, unless you believe in me as I have revealed myself to you, you will die in your sin. Unless you know and acknowledge me as the I am, not as the one you interpret me to be, but as the one I say that I am, you will die in your sin. In verse, uh, uh, in verse 28, yes, he does this other callback, which is another time of him saying, this is who I am. He says, you'll know who I am because he refers to a title that was given in the book of Daniel. It shows up over and over in Daniel, Ezekiel, and also in Revelation. But it, it talks about the son of man. And what he's saying is a person who resembles a human, but at the same time, according to the Daniel scripture that he's referencing, 
acknowledges that he's coming on the clouds and he has a divine power associated with him. He says, you're going to know that I'm the son of man and you understand my, my words when you have lifted him up. Okay, it's interesting because as he's thinking about the Son of Man being lifted up, it references another scripture in the Old Testament where Israel, one of the things that they did the most after they were released from Egypt is they complained. Why did they complain? It was in their nature. Uh, This last week at our life group, we were discussing murmuring and what does murmuring sound like? Often murmuring is what happens underneath our breath when we don't think anybody else can hear us. When we're given an instruction and we decide we don't like it, but we're not going to really say it too loud so they can't hear it, but we're like, oh, man, here we go again. How'd that work last time? All right. Israel had been enslaved in Egypt for 12 generations, 400 some odd years. And if you were to mouth off to one of the, the slave foremen, guess what happened to you? You got thumped. You got beat. And so Israel became champions at murmuring under their breath. And every time they were given an instruction, they could comply with it, but they would moan about it. There came a point when God began to call Israel on their moaning and on their mumbling. (laughs) Bless my heart. And as they're, they're grumbling, God says, you know what? I've had enough of your moaning. I have enough of your grumbling. And he says, I'm going to send fiery snakes in to bite you because of what you've done. And it says thousands of people are getting sick and some even got so sick that they died. And it's because of their grumbling and their complaining under their breath against God and against God's provision, against his instruction, against where he's leading them. Oh, I wish we could go back to Egypt, they said. At least they had vegetables there. And we got more, more often than not, we got to eat meat. People began to die and all of a sudden it's like, maybe God has a good idea for us. And so what they ended up doing Moses, what can we do to be saved? (coughs) Bless my heart. Again. Uh, And Moses says, God gave him him a picture. He said, I'm going to make a bronze snake. I'm going to put it on a a big stick. I'm going to walk around the camp. And everybody, if you look at this bronze snake, you'll be healed. And he says, he lifted up the snake. And he walked through the, the whole the whole encampment where Israel was. And everywhere that people were sick because they'd been bit by the snake, they'd look at the snake and they'd look at this being lifted up. And it wasn't because it was magic. It was a foreshadowing of Jesus himself saying in John chapter three, verse 14, when he's talking to Nicodemus, says this, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the son of man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Jesus is calling back to the story of Moses and the snakes. He's calling back to those who would have to put their trust in in God to be healed. And he's also telling each of the people in that crowd who who are saying, you know, who are you? He's saying, you need to know I'm not going to be here. You have to abide in me and abide in my word because I'm not going to be here. And they're saying, well, who are you? He says, I'm he. And you're going to know I'm he when I'm lifted up and everyone who calls upon my name will be saved. He's identifying himself as the one and only way for people to come to relationship with God the Father. <clears throat> in this callback, there are prophecies in Ezekiel, in Daniel, in Revelation, in Isaiah. What he wants is for people to listen to his word. What he wants is for people to pay attention to what he's saying. John 8, 30 through 32. Will you help me for a sec? 
you read that for me? As he was saying these things, many believed in him. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Keep going, babe. You're doing great. <laughs> abide in my word. Yeah. It's interesting because one of the things that I've been wrestling with over the last probably four or five months is an adverse, rea- <coughs> an adverse reaction to a medication that I take for blood pressure. And I've changed it out. But I'm still in the process of getting that out of my life. The, the residual leftover junk. The cough. And in some ways, I'm done with the effect of the previous medication, but it's still lingering in me. And there's times where it shows up, like right now, where I get this terrible cough, my sinuses down low, and it's like, okay, what are you going to do? And as I'm sitting here, it reminds me of Jesus' invitation to believe in him and to trust in him and to abide in his word and to abide in him. And we intend to do that. We've done everything we know how to do to remove the old stuff. And yet somehow there is some residual effect it continues to have in us. The scars, the leftovers, the lingering. I met with my doctor last week. How long does this go on? And he says, oh, usually, like I hate that word. (laughs) Tell me it's done Tuesday. He says it could be four weeks. It could be three months, depending on just how your body responds. He's not just shining me on. I trust him. I really enjoy him. He's a good man. I'm thinking, so this is just kind of unknown. Well, this is really inconvenient for me because when does it show up the most? When I'm talking. I do that on a regular basis. I don't know what it is for you. I don't know what the thing is in your life that is the residual that shows up at the most inopportune time. But I know this. Jesus' invite to abide in him and to abide in his word will address it. Because he says, he who has begun a good work in us will bring it to completion. And maybe you're in the middle. Maybe your life is looking better than it ever has. Maybe it's really messy. Wherever you are, this invitation to abide does not mean you will not have issues. This invitation to abide means that God will deal with those for you. And then, if you remain in him, you will know the truth and you will be set free. Will you pray for us, Pete? Heavenly Father, thank you that you are working in us and through us, that we are in process and you are walking in that process with us in the mountains, the mountaintops, and in those valleys. 
Lord, we surrender our ways, our will to yours, Lord. Like Jesus said, Lord, I surrender to you. Your will be done. And that led to the cross. So, Lord, we surrender those things in our lives to you because we want to remain in you and abide in you and be near you and rely on you and know you're there. We thank you, Father, that you are with us. Bless us this week. Touch our bodies. Renew our minds, our spirits, that we would see how you see and hear how you hear as we interact with people this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Last thing I want to touch on, to abide in Christ and in his word. Thank you, Joni. To abide in Christ is to live all of life in all areas in him, to continue in Christ and in his ways, to persevere or endure as we are intended. To abide in his word is to meditate on it, lean on it as a foundation, function from it, and our values, our beliefs, our thought patterns, our interactions from and on his word. From scripture, to put into practice Bible reading, listening to teachings, listening to podcasts, participating in studies, listening to, to the Bible being read out loud, uh, being a part of a life group, putting into practice all that we know how to do. It's as simple, if you've ever been to Disneyland and you're on the Matterhorn and they don't want you to get out of the, the car yet, you hear this recorded voice that says, remain seated please, permanecer sentados por favor, over and over and over. All they want is just stay in the car. Jesus says to us, remain in me. Remain in my word. Remain. Don't get out. He will complete what he's begun. What are we doing with this? Part of it starts with how do we interpret Jesus through our own lens versus as he is or how he reveals himself then it's what am I doing with his invitation to abide in him and in his word? How am I responding to that? It's not a pass-fail. It's not a, am I doing well, am I not? Are, are you responding? If you're seeking out relationship with him, if you're seeking out fellowship, you're, 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 comp- you're here, you're pursuing him, that's what he's inviting us to do. What does it look like for you to abide in his word in this season of your life? What are your greatest areas of fear or worry Anxiety, panic, temptation, bondage. Whatever they happen to be, God will meet you right where you are. And what he has said is he will work that that is in you that needs to come out. He will work that out. And that which he wants to deposit in us, he will deposit in us. If you're here today and you'd like to begin a relationship with Jesus, it doesn't mean your life's going to be completely fixed, but it does mean that you begin to walk a life with Jesus with your sins forgiven and the possibility of a new way of life that you no longer have to live according to how you have lived, but you can live according to how he invites you to live in the context of a community of people. And if you want to start with Jesus today, I would invite you to stop by the Connect and Grow counter back here and grab one of our yes packets. In that packet, there's resources available to kind of say this is what it means to say yes to Jesus. We'd love to partner with you on that. Then I'd encourage you when it comes time for baptisms on Easter, come around for baptisms because that's one of the outward signs of the work that that God's doing in our life when we say yes to him. And as we do that, I just want to speak a blessing over each person here. 
May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. God bless you. Have a great rest of your day. There's prayer available right here, back here by the trellis. Enjoy your day. This has been a podcast presentation of Hillside Foursquare Church in Reno, Nevada. You can reach us via email at web at hillside4.org. That's W-E-B at hillside, the number 4, dot org.